Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, there will be no football illustrations um, today. We'll just move on from, from that. No, hey, um, if you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. For those of you online, we are really glad you are with us as well. Um, just in case you don't know, um, we have an app, Shiloh Connect app, and there are sermon outlines on there. Um, you can also scan the QR code and it'll take you to our website if you want to follow along. I don't usually say that, but just kind of periodically it's good to remind you that it is there if you would like it. So this is week seven of a series called Exiles from the book of First Peter. As Peter is writing these exiles who are scattered out throughout the Roman Empire who are trying to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't make it easy to follow Jesus. And they are experiencing very difficult times and even some persecution for what they believe. Because they are claiming to follow this Jesus, this Messiah who has been raised from the dead. And so it's difficult, which I think we relate to. It is difficult in our world at times to follow Jesus. Because not everyone is moving in the same direction that we are. And so Peter, writing these exiles, says this in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves. That's how he begins this section. Because Christ. And he keeps tying their identity, not just simply to Jesus, but the fact that Jesus suffered and died and paid the ultimate price for sin. Clothe yourself with him, Paul says. But he says, since Jesus suffered, arm yourselves. And we live in a world that's always been really good at arming ourselves. Arm yourselves with knives, with sling, with a bow, with a gun. Make sure that you are armed. And that would be the assumption, I'm guessing, because this is about a kingdom coming on earth. And for a kingdom to come onto earth, it means the other kingdom powers must be gone. And the only way to do that is to overthrow those powers, to get them out. And obviously, force is required to do that. So arm yourselves. But then he goes on to say this. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Arm yourself not with this weapon, but arm yourself with an attitude. Arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus who suffered. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So so this is the beginning point for his theology. Arm yourselves with an attitude. Which, Which seems kind of strange. If we want a new kingdom to come onto earth and displace the other powers that are here currently, wouldn't it take force? 
But instead, what Peter says is this is an attitude. And I think the attitude is seen so much through the Spirit, which we convey. The Spirit that is supposed to, as followers of Jesus, live within us. Because we see throughout Scripture two different spirits. We see a Holy Spirit that is called a comforter, that is called an advocate. It's one that is there to build up and to give life. And yet there is another spirit, an unholy spirit, that's there from the very beginning. A spirit of blame and accusation, of deception, of lies. And it is here to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's those two spirits that seem to do battle in our world every single day. But I think that Holy Spirit, just as that unholy spirit, is conveyed with attitude. It's the attitude of Christ-likeness, of the self-sacrificing love that says, I'm going to put the needs of other people ahead of myself. And I'm going to love them regardless of what happens to me. Because of, as he says in in Peter, because Jesus suffered, and I'm going to have the same attitude. And that attitude would be seen. He says, arm yourselves with the same attitude, this Christ-likeness, that it would be seen and evident in your life. Going on verse 2, he says this, as a result, as a result of living your life apart from that sin, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Verse 4, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Verse 5, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, the hope for Peter is that as you are following Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus is at work within you, transforming and changing who you are. And so many times I think we read lists like this of sin, and we say, okay, here's what you need to do. If you're going to follow Jesus, stop doing those things. And start doing good things. And in essence, it's basically behavior modification. Which does not require any sort of supernatural power. Right? You can change your behavior if you try hard enough. But what Peter wants people to understand is that the love that Christ gave for you, that He suffered and died, is at work within you transforming and changing. And it's not just simply that you've stopped doing this list of things, 
but it's that your life is now about something bigger than you. And it is a reflection of Jesus because now Jesus lives in you. Back in 2005, uh, Christian Smith is a, a researcher and he did a study on the spiritual landscape of the American teenager. And, and in this study, he tried to look at what is the most prevalent um, faith practice among teenagers across the United States of America. And, and so you think, well, maybe, as Jared said, maybe Hindu or maybe Muslim or, or Buddhist, and there's a lot of other possibilities. But here's what he found. And, and he described it as moral therapeutic deism. You think, well, that's kind of a crazy big word. What he discovered was this moral therapeutic deism regardless of what faith that person claimed. And if you kind of break it down moral, God wants me to be a good person. Therapeutic. He wants me to feel good about myself. And deism, there's a God but he's not super, super involved in my life. And as he, he looked across the landscape, he, he started to see this, this trend, like I said, regardless of faith backgrounds. God wants me to be a good person. He wants me to feel good about myself. And, and basically, there's a God who's somehow loosely involved in our life, but doesn't play that big of a role. And I think we see that, especially in, in, in our world today. I think we see that not just simply among teenagers. I, I think we see that across the landscape of faith in our country. Right, that's, that's kind of the backbone of what most people believe. But, but what Peter is getting at here is something so much bigger. It's not just simply that God wants you to start doing bad things and do good things so that you feel good about yourself and that somehow... No, no, no. It's entirely the opposite. That when you confess Jesus is your Savior and you surrender your life to Him and you enter into His life through baptism that He begins to change and transform who you are from the inside out in a way that is evident. And so what He says is you've left these practices, you've left this sinful life because somewhere along the way you realize that this wasn't really doing anything good in my life or anyone else's life. It was kind of pointless. There was no goodness in it. And so because I'm being transformed by Christ and because my purpose isn't just about my needs and what I want to do, it's about Jesus and Him transforming this world through me, that I've decided I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm going to turn away from them. And as you do that, all the people that you used to be with are going to start saying, well, man, what... That's what they're going through. They've left this life behind them. And they have people asking like, well, hey, why aren't, you, why aren't you hanging out with us? 
Why aren't, why aren't you with us doing what we're doing right now? And it's because your life matters. Because it's not just this pointless pursuit of pleasure. It's about being like Jesus and being transformed more and more into His likeness. This one who suffered and who died for you. That your life is being transformed by the one who gave everything for you. And then he moves into what, what I think for, for many of us is probably another puzzling passage. Right? Last week, the imprisoned spirits, we kind of like where Peter takes that, that right hand turn out of nowhere. And he comes back to this, verse 5. Just again. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Right? You're not having to give an answer to them. You give an answer to someone else. Verse 6, For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. And, and we can think, okay, well, is he talking about the same imprisoned spirits from last week? No, no, no. The, the context is different. Here he's talking to, to a group of people who have seen and heard the gospel lived out among them, and yet they chose not to be a part of it. And for these, these pagans, for these people that are not a part of the way of Jesus, they look at you who are being persecuted, talking to these exiles, they look at you who are being persecuted because of your faith, and they say, see, you died, you've lost the battle. But in fact, you haven't lost the battle, you're actually getting the promise of the gospel. And they had a chance. It was right there. They saw it. They heard it. They walked among you. As you were being persecuted, as you were going through difficult times, and you continued to follow Jesus, and they saw it in your life. They saw the goodness of God in you. And they had a choice. They had a chance to embrace that gospel. They, they had a choice. They had a chance to hear the goodness of God and respond to it. But they ignored it. Now, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore. And, and when he says the end of all things, is not, he's not talking about the sermon. Um, no, just, he's not talking about like, hey, the end times are like, we're, we're like counting down the out. What, what he's saying is Jesus, the Messiah, has come back. And he is now king. And then the end is near. Not, not like next week or next, but the, the beginning of the end has begun. Right? Jesus is now on the throne. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus is king over all. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift 
you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The end is near. It's begun in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. Now, if you love each other well, people are going to see God's goodness. If you use the gifts that God has given you, they're going to see God's goodness. If you show hospitality, they're going to see God's goodness. If you speak these words, they're going to see God's goodness. If you serve, they're going to see. These gifts are simply a means of grace. These gifts are a means of grace. They are tools that we hold in our hand that allow us to show God's grace because what He calls us is stewards of that grace. You are a steward of God's grace. Now, a couple of assumptions that we make about stewardship. right? One is what you have been given is not yours. You are temporarily responsible for it. It's not yours, and it's temporary. Someone has given you something, and you get to manage it. You get to take care of it. You get to help it grow. You are a steward of God's grace. Now, as you remember Peter... If there's anyone in all of Scripture that has the ability to talk about God's grace, I'm I'm sure it's Peter. Peter, the one who stood with Jesus and said, I'm not going to deny. I don't care what happens. I will die with you. And Jesus says, no, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, no, never. It's not going to happen. And sure it is there. That fateful night where Peter denies that he even knew Jesus. And I'm guessing the moment where Peter thought everything he had done was for nothing. Because there could be no coming back from that. But yet somehow, in spite of everything that Peter had done, Jesus welcomes him home and says, yes, come follow me again. Come follow me. And it's this Peter who's writing to these exiles who are struggling to follow Jesus, who are facing persecution, and he says, listen, I more than anyone else understand this. That the grace that we have been given is immense. It is immeasurable. 
We cannot comprehend it. But our job is to steward it. It is to take care of it so that it can be seen. And as we said last week, Peter, more than anyone else, spent so much time with Jesus. Story after story that Jesus tells, teaching after teaching, and Peter is right there. And one of those, Jesus tells a parable. Bennett and Britton and Ryan, can y'all come help me real quick? Just three of y'all can kind of stand right over here. Thank you. So Jesus tells this parable. And this parable, he says, there was a man who was going to go on a journey. And he called his servants to him. He called his servants to him and he said, hey, I have this wealth. And I'm going to give it to you to take care of while I'm gone. And so to one servant, he gives five bags of gold. To one, he gives two. And to the other, he gives one. I love you. And then he goes on this journey. And he returns from the journey and he goes to his servants and he says to the one who's given five, what have you done? And the one who had been given five says, now I have ten. And to the one who had two, he now had four. And to the one who had one, he had done nothing with it. He said, I went and buried it because I knew you were a hard man and you were very judgmental. And so I just kept what I have and I buried it so I could give it back to you. And he says, you wicked, evil servant. (laughs) Ryan mowed our yard yesterday, so he's not a wicked, evil servant. I just didn't want to call other people's kids a wicked, evil servant. (laughs) He says, I'm going to give it to the one who had ten. Because he's going to go and do something with it. He's been given this gift. And he didn't hold it for himself. You're holding almost like 40 pounds of sand, just so you know. (laughs) That he would do something with it. That it wouldn't just sit there. And here's the question. How will you handle what you have been handed? You have been given this immense grace. And you are a steward of it. And these gifts of hospitality and serving and loving and speaking and serving, 
those are just means to communicate God's grace to this world. Right? Through, through the things that you've been given. Now, through these things that you've been given. People will see God's goodness. And you can say, well, what, what does hospitality have to do with God's grace? People see the goodness of God as you welcome them in. People see the goodness of God through your words. And you can be given this gift and you can do nothing with it. Or you can take this immense gift that you have been given and share it with God, share it with the world. Because through those gifts, they will see the goodness of God. You are stewards of grace. And you have been handed these amazing gifts to hold on to. And the question is how will you handle what you have been handed? Will the world see the goodness of God in and through your life? Y'all can set them down. Thank you. Will the world see the goodness of God through the gifts that you have? Or will they simply be used for you and for your good? Father, today we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for his love and grace that he gives abundantly and freely. And Father, we pray that in our life we would steward that grace well so that, Father, the world would see Jesus through our lives. No matter what it is that we're going through right now, through good times and bad, may we always reflect Jesus to this world. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if we could help you at all this morning, um, we would love to do that. We're going to have our shepherds in the back of the auditorium um, if we could pray for you or help you in any way at all, we would love to do that. If you've never given your life to Christ and been baptized into Him, surrendering your life to Him, we would love to help you do that as well. Our shepherd is going to be in the back while we stand and we sing.